0: One thing that we're not taught how to do in school is how to make life's big decisions. How do you navigate things like who to marry or what city to live in or what career path to take? And making the wrong decision on some of life's big decisions like these can have major negative impacts in your life. So it's critical that we make wise decisions And so, to help us with that, I've brought on uh, my friend Abby Davison. Now, Abby is a social innovation leader and career development expert. Most recently, she spent nine years at global retailer Gap Incorporated, where she served as president of the Gap Foundation and co founded the company's employee research group for parents. You can find more information on her new book, Money and Love An Intelligent Roadmap for Life's Biggest Decisions. Uh, And in this conversation, Abby and I break down how to think. There's a step-by-step process of how to make these big decisions. Hint, hint, you don't make them in a vacuum by yourself. But there is a framework that she's discovered and worked through in her book, not only how to make big financial decisions, but really some of life's big decisions, where to move, should you buy a house. And I loved how she gave real examples from her own life and students' lives on how to navigate these big decisions. I think this is so relevant for our audience as entrepreneurs as we're making big decisions in our business, where to go, where to push, when to pull back, who to hire, whether to expand or pivot. I know I've had to make a lot of big decisions just within my business, let alone marrying and having children and moving across the country so i think you'll get a lot out of this episode abby is a sweet soul and really brilliant and we just had a powerful conversation that is super practical across all areas of your life so sit back relax and enjoy my conversation with abby davison Welcome back to The Graham Cochran Show, where each week I'm unpacking the mindsets, strategies, and habits that you need to build a highly profitable and life-giving business. I'm your host, Graham Cochran. Honored to have some of your time today. Before we jump in, I want to give you a gift. I want to give you my 30-day online income jumpstart. If you want to kickstart this business or launch a new income stream literally four weeks from today, you can do this. I've given you this step-by-step checklist. It's literally a four-week checklist. It's just bullet points. You don't have to read. You don't have to even watch anything. If you need something quick and digestible, it's a four-week checklist PDF that'll take you from either no idea and no audience, or even if you have a little bit of an idea, even better, it'll take you from wherever you are to launching an offer and putting money in your pockets 30 days from now. It's absolutely free. The plan works it if you work the plan. You can download your copy at grahamcochran.com slash or I'm going to link to it below this video in the description. It's grahamcochran.com slash jumpstart for my 30-day online income jumpstart guide. Pick it up, apply it, go make money, build a great business, and have fun. Now let's jump into the episode. glad to have you on the show. Uh, I love your book so far. It's been it's pretty great and I love the topic. Um, money is something that I nerd out on personally in personal finance. Uh, like I always say if I were going to start another like, like like a third business, I would do it around personal finance or managing money. I just it's fascinating to me and we all have to deal with it. Um, but I love the way you unpacked it in your book, uh, Money and Love. So I, I think there's a lot there for my people, not only to talk about money, but also just the way you talk about decision-making in the book, and we all have to deal with decisions. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I'm glad you said yes. I'm glad you would come on the show. So welcome to The Graham Cochran Show. Thanks for hanging out today.
1: Thanks so much. I'm looking forward to our conversation, too.
0: So... um We'll go right into the book, because I really want, there's so much I want to unpack, um, and it's got so many helpful frameworks for navigating big decisions in our lives, but from what I understand, this is an area you started studying in college, so like, what got you into this topic? Why did you want to delve into it, and uh, what made you want to keep exploring it and eventually write a book about it?
1: Well, it was actually graduate school. I wish I had taken a course um, on decision-making in college. Uh, but I didn't. I mean, there aren't any really offered, certainly not where I went. And um, in my early and mid-20s, I found myself Having to make big life decisions and not really having a way to know if I was approaching them the right way. I, you know, should I move to a new city just because it seems like a great great place to live? But I don't have a job there yet. And I'm started seeing this person. And how do I know if they're the right one for me? And if we want to take our relationship to the next level? And what does that even mean? So I, you know, I I certainly made some of those decisions, but I didn't have a way of knowing if I was approaching them the right way. And it just, I kind of felt like I was muddling through. And so when I got to graduate school and um, took this class that my co-author taught, it was called Work and Family, which is another way of saying money and love. And she is a pioneering labor economist, one of the first women faculty members hired at Stanford Business School. It was like a light bulb went off for me because I realized that one of the reasons I was struggling so much with making big life decisions was that the conventional wisdom that we're taught is all wrong. We're taught to really separate money decisions, financial decisions, and analyze them and think about them with our heads, run the numbers. And for love or relationship decisions, just think about how you feel and what is your heart telling you? And that compartmentalization is completely flawed. All of the biggest decisions in life, really every decision has a component of money and a component of love. I mean, the person you decide to spend your life with has a huge impact on your career. And um, the how much you save out of each paycheck has a lot of implications on your relationships. And so there are just so many ways that these two things are intertwined. And once I understood that and once I started applying that same way of thinking, my decision making became richer, I became more confident. And I got the chance to take this course with the guy I had been dating at the time, we had only been together for about a year, less than that. And because we were graduating, we had to make some big decisions of are we going to look for a job in the same city, if we end up in the same city, are we going to live together? and because we were sort of forced to by nature of the class we had a lot of uncomfortable decisions and uncomfortable conversations about big decisions that we might not have had otherwise and it has served us so well Um, fast forward 15 years we have been married for 13 of those years we have two kids we've um, had lots of opportunity to practice our decision making over that time and i can say that the before and the after, in terms of when I had this information, has just been so stark in terms of the way mm. I feel and the confidence and um, just uh, reassurance I have that I'm approaching decisions in the right way.
0: Oh, that's awesome! It sounds like a superpower—the ability to approach big decisions with really wisdom. I mean, it sounds like you're you're offering wisdom, and none of us, none of us come into this world with much wisdom, so. Uh, that's awesome. I mean, talk, talk about that a bit. Like, you know, you said, and I agree with you that the world has this compartmentalized view of money's over here, relationships and lover over here. I, I, I push back about this a lot in the business space. Like, Business is one part of your life, and then you've got your family and your other life, and you, you make these decisions separately. I'm like, how do you separate these things? They commingle, and e- like every decision you make in your business is going to affect your family life. For if if I work this many hours, I don't get to spend that time with my kids or my wife, or I can't take my kids to school, and so they affect each other. So, uh, can, can you give some examples of what are the common narratives um, in, let's say, in the money space? Uh, they are examples of that compartmentalization that you were saying, like, this isn't right. This isn't real life in terms of the way we need to make decisions.
1: Yeah, well, I think, you know, often in the money space, you get very quickly into career and what you're going to mm. do, you know, to earn money and to be able to, you know, have financial independence, whatever that means to you. And so many of the career books to help you figure out what you want to do in life is all about you. Like, what color is your parachute designing your life? Like, it's, you know, you're, you're taught to think very myopically about yourself. And that's true when you are, you know, likely growing up and going through school. I mean, you're certainly part of a family unit, likely, mm-hmm. but um, if you have... Uh, anyone in your life that you want to see um, m- frequently, could yeah. be a romantic partner, could be a set of close friends, um, your decisions affect those mm-hmm. people. And w- I think certainly we get into this mode because we're taught these things that, okay, well, this is really just my own decision. It's my personal decision, and I'm just going to make it on my own. And so we hear from people who have like accepted jobs without talking to their life partner have, you know, that wow. that actually have wow. significant imp- implications yes. because they thought, okay, well, that's just me. And, and actually mm. it's more money. So of course, they're going to support this. But really, um, and we will get into this, we have this five-step framework to help people slow down their decision-making. I mean, often when we're making big decisions, we are, we don't like ambiguity. We don't like uncertainty. And so we rush, we want to get to the other side as quickly as possible. And so A lot of the wisdom, as you mentioned, that we're trying to bring is to help people slow down. Mm. It's rare that we have to make big decisions overnight. And by bringing some structure and a flexible but sturdy framework, we want to help people understand that actually this decision affects a lot of people and there are ways to do it that can um, really maximize the benefit for all the people who are going to be affected by it.
0: It's just so good. No one's talking about this, Abby. I mean, you're, we we live in such um, a narcissistic world and it's encouraged, right? Like you just said, like, that's a great book title and there's plenty of them. We don't want to pick on, on that book, but it, you know, you and what you're designed to do. And and there's so much good there. Like you got to figure out what, what are your gifts and how can you have a contribution to the world? But what you said about our decisions affect other people. Um, man, I, I wish you know, when I was younger, someone was helping me think bigger about like, hey, you've got your dreams, Graham, uh, you know, because my dream was to be a rock star. That was my only dream. Just make it big in music or, or go broke trying. Um, but you have your dreams, and those are good. And then also, you're, you already have other people in your life as it is. And then if you want to get married one day and have kids, like, think about the bigger picture, the kind of whole life you want to have. Um, and, and they all these these things all fit together somehow like a puzzle. So you can't just like you said, my op- myopically look at those things. So I love that, um, that you're at least acknowledging that because uh, not everyone's talking about this. But you mentioned something so critical, not rushing, slowing down. Why, why do you think, and is, do you think that people feel like this pressure to rush through decisions? Is it that you said we don't like ambiguity and it's, so it's just internal? Or is there outside pressure to like make a decision fast? Or like, where does that come from? That hurry up and like decide on this big life thing.
1: So Daniel Kahneman, who is a you know, Nobel Prize winning economist, talks about the two systems of decision making that we use as humans. And system one, and this has evolved you know, evolutionarily for many, many years. And system one is activated when we are um, in heightened states, right? Like fight or flight. And it's emotional. It's you know, quick. It's um, very um sort of instinctual right and this is like the default for a lot of us um, we're not being chased by woolly mammoths anymore but we are you know having very stressful loaded um, lives and decisions that come at us particularly when there are like big dollar signs attached to them or you know other scary things system one gets activated and system two is more about, rational logical deliberate systematic thought and that is harder to access and Mm. it is harder for us as humans to override our impulse and our Mm. bias to kind of go to the quick decision system one way of thinking and access system two but system two is really where you get much more complex um sophisticated way of approaching problems. And so when we talk about trying to help people slow down, it's really trying to help them access system two, because that will help them lead to decision making. They are less likely to regret in the long run.
0: I was thinking about that word regret. You know, Jeff Bezos from Amazon always had that that idea of minimizing regret as a decision-making filter, like he would project into the future which decision would I have the least amount of regret or no regret? Do you kind of agree with that concept?
1: Um, yeah, Jeff Bezos and I don't agree on a lot of things, but... <laughs> I, yeah. but you I've... don't have
0: to agree with him personally and some of yes. his, uh, his shenanigans.
1: <laughs> but I do, I do think that we are wired to try to minimize regret, but we, we do, um, and so I do, I think it's helpful. We don't always know what we're going to regret, right? And mm. so it's hard to just apply that as a filter without taking some steps to trying to get at more information about how regret especially will play out over time. Um, And we can get into that with our our five C's framework because I think it's helpful, but I don't think it's as easy as it might seem on the face of it.
0: Yeah, well, let's get into it. So you do have this awesome framework in the book, your five C's. um, And you you say it can be used for virtually any tough decision one would have to make. It doesn't have to be money. Um, So can you walk through what are those five C's Uh, and then let's maybe unpack them and apply them to a business owner or to entrepreneurship and making those types of decisions.
1: Yeah, and I think before I just get into it, I'll zoom out for a moment and say, we wanted to develop a framework because these decisions are so daunting, but they're also very unique. You know, no two people are faced with the exact same circumstances. And so we wanted to develop something that could be applied to a variety of situations and certainly won't tell you what to do, but that would give people the tools to approach the decision in a way that would lead to more confidence about the way they approached it and the quality of the decision isn't dependent on whether the outcome is positive or not, right? So I think often we think, I made this decision and it went really well, and so it was a good decision. But actually, you can make a good decision and have things go sideways because the world is the way it is. And sometimes monkey grunches get thrown at you. And instead of kicking yourself about, oh, like, why did I mess up? you actually can have confidence. Well, like I actually made a good decision. It just didn't turn out the way I had hoped. And so that's, you know, kind of fast forwarding about what I hope people take from this is reassurance and a sense of I am doing the best that I can uh, with the information that I had. So that's, that's a great
0: distinction. Real quick on that tangent. Do you have a personal example of like a decision that you know was the right decision You did, went through this framework, made a good decision, but there was some it didn't seem like it was good in the in the front end because of these uncontrollables, but you had the confidence and the peace knowing I I made the right decision. Do you have an example like that?
1: I do, um, and it's a, a deeply personal one, um, and I'm happy to share. But let, maybe let's go into the framework first. Sure, I think yeah. it'll help. Have more um, context and yeah, and then I and then I can circle back to that. So um, so the five C's. I'll start with C, and it starts with clarify. So clarify what's most important to you. That is, I can go deeper on that after I go through because I think that is actually the key to really um, spend time on uh, before you get into the rest of the Cs. So clarify what's most important to you. The second C is communicate with the other people or person who will be affected by the decision. The third is choices, as in generate a broad range of them. The fourth is check in with friends, family, trusted resources. And the fifth is consequences and explore the likely consequences of your decision over the short-term, medium-term, long-term, different time horizons. Um, and I'll, I'll go back to the first C because clarifying what's most important to you sounds easy. It's like, okay, just think about what you care about. But the truth is that as humans, we are so powerfully affected by what other people want. And mm. this is something that Come on um, <laughs> French philosopher René Girard coined this term called mimetic desire. And it describes how when we see other people wanting things, we start to think we want those same things. And so if wow. you're happy renting your place, and you see all the people around you start to buy their own homes, yep. you might start thinking, oh, maybe I should look at buying a place because maybe I should want that. It seems like everyone else is doing it. And that's an example of mimetic desire at work. If that's not something that's really important to you, uh, you can still be affected by it and, and internalize it in a way that you think you really want it. And so it that's takes, a
0: great example, by the way,
1: like, well, I feel happens like to so many of us. <laughs> everybody, right? It's yeah. like the
0: house buying. And then it's like the kids, you know, everyone's having kids or getting married. Wow.
1: So you have to do deep self-reflection to identify your core values. What are those things that make you tick that really, if you're not living in alignment with, you're going to feel a deep sense of cognitive dissonance or disconnection. Mm -hmm. And then once you have those things, you know, that can really help you um, serve as your North Star, really, and serve as the thing that you that starts to guide your decision making, or at least lets you get into the rest yeah. of the seas about, about things. And so well, I can, yeah. it feels like
0: that would be a, a really one of the most important ones, right? Like, is there a, any kind of exercise that you've seen work for yourself and others to help us clarify to your point, if we don't actually know what we value, how can we start to do that deep work so we can maybe figure out what those values are?
1: Yeah, there are um, really helpful values sort exercises you can find online with a quick Google search. Um, you can also start paying attention when you watch the news or read things, you know, in the media of what seems deeply not okay with you. Like what mm. strikes a nerve and you get really fired up. Of like that's not fair. Like that's probably because it's accessing a core value. It's it's hitting on a core value of yours. And if you can start to understand. Um, what are those things that seem like deeply not okay, and and it, what would be the flip side? What what value is at work there? Um, I can give you an example. When I went through my co-author's class, she shared data. I always thought that when I had kids, I would work part time. I had seen my mom do it. Um, she actually paused her career when when. Yeah. My brother and I were real young, and then went back, you know, as a, a school librarian when we were older. And she had the summers off; like she just she had a, a schedule that worked for having children. And so I thought, okay, that's how I will make it work. And then when I went through Myra's class, and this is exam- an example of the check-in step, she shared published studies about how people that work part time are paid less per hour, even if they're salaried employees, they're getting, you know, less money for the time that they work. They have fewer benefits. They have fewer advancement opportunities. They're not getting the plum assignments. And it I had so core a core value of, of mine is equity. And mm. I thought, like, that doesn't make any sense. That's so mm. unfair. And so I resolved after seeing this to find a way to work full time when I was, you know, still in a corporate job. Like I wasn't gonna go down to four days a week and end up working more than four days a week, but only getting paid yeah. for you know, 80% time. And so that was an example of how checking in with research actually helped me change my mind because it, it, it hit on a core value of mine.
0: That's a really good example. And it's interesting, I guess I wouldn't have thought of it having a, a negative reaction to something is a good signpost of maybe what you value. I mean, it makes sense when I say it, but I am always assuming, well, what, what fires you up? What makes you happy? What gets you excited? But that's a really great um, way to get a pulse maybe on what's, what's deep down in there that you, you really feel strongly about, which is a good indicator of what you value.
1: Yeah, I think, I think if, if you, certainly, if you're able to identify your values by what brings you joy and what gives you energy, like all of those things are good things to pay attention to. And it's just a flip side of like the the strong emotions on either side are things Mm -hmm. to pay attention to.
0: I love that. Okay. So you clarify as the first C what's most important to you, which I imagine is probably an ongoing process as you, as you go through life and you have different seasons. There's probably some things that change and evolve. I know, you know, I've, you know, kudos to you for being married for 13 years. I've been married for 17 years and I can tell you that my wife's Values have changed as we've grown and she, we've had kids and they get older Like you can I can see like I have to relearn what's important to her And the same thing has happened to me as life's changed, too So you are probably always checking in even on your own Values over time. Um, I love it So then you're communicating with the people who would be affected by the decision So what would be an example of that? Like you, you've got an idea of what you value you're trying to make a decision Are you just saying hey, here's here's what i'm thinking here are the options in front of me? um what are, you, are you inviting feedback at that point? Is that what the communication looks like two-way, or is it just like keeping them in the loop of your decision-making process?
1: Communication is absolutely two-way, and that is a huge part of this step is is actually listening. So I think so often when we have a decision to make, we're thinking about all of our logic, all of the things that we care about. If you clarified what's important to you, like it, it is a deeply personal thing, but if you have multiple People in your ecosystem, like you mentioned, you and your wife, you have children. You might have, you know, grandparents who are important in the equation and help you make it work. Um, we often assume that the more we know people, the longer we know people, the better we know them. And so, you just said, actually, your 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 wife's values has have changed over time. So, a big part of this is, yes, certainly sharing what you what's important to you, but also inviting and listening and making actually time in your schedule to have this conversation in a way that will serve it. And what I mean by that is not just as you're getting the kids out the door in the morning <laughs> rush or you're brushing your yep. teeth before you get ready for bed, like, hey, hey babe, I'm you thinking know. thinking about this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but Wait, actually what? like, yeah, exactly. Like make an appointment just as you would any mm. b- business meeting, mm-hmm. any decision that's gonna be like significant deserves a time and a place to have the full discussion. You know, my husband and I, we live in Northern California. We, one of the reasons we live here is we love hiking and we love, you know, getting outside on the weekends. And so we'll often save our big discussions for a hike and we'll let our kids run out ahead of us. And there's something about getting away from the dishes that need to be done and the laundry that needs to get folded that just helps us think more expansively.
0: That's a beautiful example. Uh, I don't know if I'm making a uh, blanket statement, but I feel like as a man, uh, I tend to uh, underestimate the the scene and the context of having the conversation. I'm just like, all right, just have the conversation. We need to talk about this. We'll just talk about it versus I, I tend to see my wife is a little more uh, wisdom when it comes to, hey, we have to talk about something important. Can we talk about it at dinner tomorrow night when we go out on our date? Or like you said, we go for a hike. I just talking about rushing earlier i want to get the conversation out as soon as i can to get it out of my head either out of fear of what she'll say or uh, or or just because i'm practical and so sometimes i think that's a good little bonus of when you have the conversation can make a big difference
1: totally i mean the conditions really matter for these things so setting those conditions up to have a successful conversation as much as possible
0: love that okay so clarify what's important to you, communicate with other people who are affected by the decisions. Choices. So when it comes to choices, is this just pretty straightforward in terms of like, let's just list out what are the options in front of me? Or is it like, here's the options I see. Are there any other options? Are we getting curious about maybe things we haven't thought about at this stage? What does it look like?
1: Absolutely. Because I think often we get tunnel vision when it comes to our choices. And so we tend to define things in a very binary way. Like, should I um, quit my job or go for the promotion? Should I marry this person or break up with them, right? It's like they're the two extremes. But truthfully, there are so many things in between and often, if you slow down and you get creative, and this actually plays in really well with the next C, with this, which is check in. If you're generating more choices by asking others, well, how did you think about this decision? Mm. Like, you know, take childcare. Right, it's um, the time of year where a lot of people who have um, kids in school that go, you know, have no school over the summer have to find childcare for the summer, like these, you know, camps that book up, you know, so many months in advance, vacations now that people are traveling again. And so talking to other people who have gone through this, you know, it's not just like um, about the, the two things that you might see in your mind. And by the way, when we sort of only see a couple options, and they all look suboptimal to us, like that's when decisions are you just want to get to the other side of it but but having an ability to generate how can you get at what you're going for without the two extremes are there ways how have other people done this like that's where you can really um, start to get creative and might find something that allows you to have your cake and eat it too
0: yeah that's so important i i I personally struggle with this i have a very dichotomized brain i'm black or white thinking a lot and i'm I've been taking my wife, being married has helped point it out to me. You know, when you're married, that becomes like a mirror. <laughs> you learn a lot about yourself when you're in a relationship like that. And I've learned over the years, wow, I really do gravitate to it's this or it's that. And both my wife and then I've been working with a couple of mindset coaches over the years have been trying to train myself to slow down and the, the word curiosity is the one I, I suck at. So it's like, get curious about what are what are some other possibilities? What might be possible? Uh, we don't know. Maybe maybe those are the only options, Graham. But what might be possible? And that process has been really good for me. And the other thing that you said, and I agree with, is getting other people's opinions and feedback, at least into the mix, to consider a possibility you haven't heard of before or thought of before. I, I think reminds me of in the Bible, in the book of Proverbs, there's this line that in the abundance of counselors, there's safety, you know? So you know if you make a decision by yourself, I mean, it's, you don't have all the potential data. So it's not that you have to go with everyone's opinion, but man, when you can get as much data as possible from people who have either lived longer than you or had a different experience than you, um, man, you just add that to your data bank and you go, huh, now I have a little bit more to go on. I might make a smarter decision uh, with more data in front of me. Like like you did with uh, your work decision when you had kids. So I think that's, that's huge. But d- would you say that takes humility though to ask other people, what do you think about this as opposed to just, I'm gonna make a decision and go for it?
1: Oh, absolutely. Um, but I think that, I love that line that you shared from the Bible because it, it is so true that there is so much wisdom in um, other people. And, and I think when we're going through big, hard things, we feel very alone. You feel like, ugh, I'm like the only person going through this right now. And even if you know, like intellectually, that other people are going through it, um, you don't have access to their experience. And so we're not advocating, you know, asking everyone, you know, people you see on the street, like, you know, just yeah. for to weigh in on your most personal decisions. We also think. Finding people who you admire, um, finding people you think have made wise decisions in their own lives, and instead of asking them, What should I do? asking them, Help me understand how you thought about this. Help that. me understand how you approach this decision. And that can help, you know, unlock. And some people have a, a personal board of advisors they call on yeah. in that way, just as a company has a board. Um, so, you know, approaching those sage people who yeah. you think might have wisdom to share
0: i love that i mean you you hit it spot on the the loneliness my students those those listening to this watching this many of them are solopreneurs i mean that's the beauty the beauty of this model and then the curse of this model is you are alone um and so that's one reason why you know i I create my communities. I have my, my six figure coaching community or my mastermind or other communities where, you know, it's like you can learn stuff by yourself. I mean, that's I, I love learning asynchronously through a course or watching videos or listening to podcasts. But where do you have people who have some experience or wisdom in the areas that you want to make decisions around? And so this example, business, online business, where can you create or find a community? You don't need to join a paid community to do this, but find a few people that you can say, Hey, can we help each other out with decisions sometimes? Can I run things by you? And like to your point, what would you do in this situation just to gain some insight? Even if they know all the same things you know, they might give you one little insight or nugget that you haven't considered before that for you changes everything or unlocks a possibility you hadn't considered before. And that was all you needed was just a quick text thread or you know, a group chat or a phone call or a Zoom call. Um, It's so valuable and I I encourage everybody to get at least two other people in your world um, to make these decisions with either just in the business space, since we're talking about business on on, on my show a lot, or in life in general, you got to have at least two other people um, that you can trust and talk about personal things. Uh, They don't have to be experts in everything. But they know you, you trust them. You look at their life and think, well, they're making some good decisions, right? You can, look, people's lives are the fruit of their decision-making. So look where you see the fruit, like look at a healthy fruit as a probably healthy tree um, and and then have that inner circle to ask those questions. That's so, so important. I love that. Absolutely. So we, we, we're checking in, you know, you're checking with other people, you're checking back in with the people that your decisions will affect. And then finally there's the consequences. So I love how you said, you know, map out what would be the consequences of this decision versus this decision over the short term, medium term, long term? Is this just like, we kind of know it, but we need to flesh it out and see it in front of us so that we can react to it and go, "Whoa, that's, I hadn't thought about that in the long term, that decision.
1: We also have a human bias towards short termism. So we Mm. kind of overweight what is going to happen in the short term. And we kind of underweight what the long-term consequences are of things. And so this is a way to trick your brain to not just focus on the short-term. And you know, if we think something is gonna be painful in the short-term, say moving, right? It's hard, you get to a new place, you don't know people, it's you have to like figure out where everything is all over again. Um, and so if you're moving because y- there is a better school system there, or there's you know some reason where in the long-term, it will serve you well, but in the short term, it's going to be harder. You need to be able to look at those different time horizons and know that, yeah, in the first six months, it's going to be uncomfortable because mm. we're leaving everything we know. Mm-hmm. And um, but by the time you know um, the next school year rolls around, you know my child will be uh, more comfortable. And then you know in the long term this is a much better decision for our family. So, and and my my older son just switched schools this year. So this is maybe a fresh, (laughs) fresh in my mind. And it was, it was hard to explain to a fourth grader that yes, it was going to be hard because he had to meet all new kids. But because the school went up to a higher grade, he would have more years without having Mm -hmm. to make those transitions. And, you know, I think once, you know, you could explain it to someone, but putting it down on paper, I mean, I always find gets, um, allows us to to think um differently than just you know because we're wired to avoid pain right as as yeah. people so
0: That's a really really great example. Yeah. We so will you unpack maybe the, an example for you of how you've walked through these 5 Cs and you said it was a personal decision so if you feel comfortable sharing it if not I totally understand.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I am happy to share um but the decision I'll share the a uh, way that my husband and I walked through these 5 Cs. We road tested this over and over, um, over the past, you know, number of years when we were working on this book and both my co-author and I actually applied the five C's to the same decision, which was whether we should move and where to move during COVID mm-hmm. and, and actually came out with really different results. And so that's a way of, of showing, you know, the same framework can lead you yeah. really different places. And so, um, when, when we started talking about moving, it was, uh, the height of lockdown i think everyone was feeling like no matter how big their space was it was too small too small yeah we had two young kids who were zooming into zoom kindergarten and zoom second grade if you can imagine that oh, <laughs> and yep. um and we were just you know both trying to do our our jobs remotely in our in a home that was just not built to do all the things that uh, we were asking it to to do and so we started clarifying and say you said you know what's important to us is to get more space and to find a school district that will be in person because we were living in one um, that was the longest that was remote of all of the large urban school districts in the country and so we started um, looking at other options we communicated with each other with um, my dad lives um, nearby and so we we're thinking about moving to the suburbs closer to him. And so we said, are you staying put? Like if we move closer, are you going to be there? And, um, and so then we started looking at our choices and that meant, um, looking at houses, talking to realtors, um, looking at our, you know, the finances, checking in with people who had made that move. And, and actually it was really interesting because when we did the check-ins and looked at the numbers, we realized that, we actually needed to reclarify what was important to us Mm. because we saw the math and that if we were going to be trading for a bigger mortgage and all the things, it would tie us to jobs that we Mm. didn't want to be in for the foreseeable future. I was working on the book, wanted to do something entrepreneurial with the content there. My husband was thinking of starting his own business. And so what we realized was important to us was career flexibility and the ability to live in a way that would allow us to explore, to take some risks and to explore paths that we wouldn't have been able to do if we were beholden to a much bigger mortgage. And so um, we, again, we looked at those consequences um, Mm -hmm. of of, of taking on this additional debt and decided to stay put. But back to the choices, Um, We did then start generating, okay, well, how can we address some of the pain points? One of the pain points was our house was too small to do all the things that we needed it to do. So I explored how I might rent an additional space. And so where I'm speaking to you from is an office that's 10 minutes away, but it gives me the space I need to do my best work. And it, again, was possible without making a big move because we got – Curious and started to think about okay, well, we're going to stay, but what are some ways to get at what's important to us um, without the extremes that we had mapped out?
0: Oh, that's a great example. That's a really, really great example um, b- because I that and that's a very common example. I think a lot of people are on that path of oh, we we want or need a bigger house, um, and they they look at just can I afford it and does it do we like it and that without checking in on will this tie us to jobs or making a certain amount of money that we don't want to be tied to long-term? And that just goes back to the whole thing that you said at the beginning, which is that life is not compartmentalized. It's not nice and neat and tidy, which we almost want it to be to in theory to make decision-making easier, but life is messy and it's integrated and everything has to work in concert. And so, wow, what a great example of of even going through the process, rediscovering what your highest values actually are so that was a value to get more space but there was even a higher value you discovered of the career flexibility and the choices you wanted to be able to make there um, that led you to get curious to other options um, that's fantastic that's a really real world example
1: yeah and it's you know the five C's are not linear so it, it will be iterative and it will be like you'll clarify and then you'll communicate and actually something that your partner says might change your mind about something. So you reclarify. So certainly this is not like you take through the steps and you check it off and like you're done. And so, it, you know, that makes it a little messier, but that is life. And the other thing that's interesting, just on the check-in step, when we were researching the book, we came across, there's a whole chapter on where to live and when to move, and obviously this was me-search for me as I yep. was going through this. <laughs> That's a good
0: um, one, me-search. I love it. <laughs> but there's I love a, me some me-search. It's always me good. Sir, it's
1: very helpful. Uh, but there is a study we found for um, in this journal that looked at the density, so like the square footage per person of um, families with young children, and examined, is there a correlation between families that have more space and how well they get along like the Mm. harmony in their families and what was so interesting is like yes to a point um if you're all like six people sharing one bathroom like that is not a recipe for family harmony but actually the far you know too much space is not good either and particularly Mm. for families with boys which is what we have um actually there could be a, a real detriment to wow. having too much space because you don't have that, you know, closeness and togetherness that you sometimes having a smaller space forces you to have. So I thought this was fascinating. So this check-in, it's not just about, you know, talking to people, but it's about, are there, is there research that could help you with this? And once we saw this research, it was like, okay, that makes sense. And it actually brought us a sense of peace. It's like our space mm. is not bigger now, but we feel like we've gone through, you know, this process and to, to the point of like, yeah, of course, do I wish sometimes that like everyone had their own bathroom? <laughs> we didn't have sure. to like converge in the morning. Um, and the same one, of course, but there is this sense of, we've gone through this process. We feel more confident. We've made some changes around the edges that help our family work better. And, um, it, you know, and, and we think like, Hey, you know, my husband's six, four, if, if the kids end up that tall we might need you know to rent for a few years and then move back when yeah. they're in college so but we just are trying to get real creative and i love your word curious about how we might make this work because there's so many things we love about where we live
0: that's i love the, all of that um and yeah maybe curiosity can be like this hidden sixth c that you uh, you you bake everything in Um, I love this. I'm thinking about these five C's right for the the business owner and and, and I'll take a stab at it, but maybe you can come in and and let me know what you think. But I I see this really a great framework for those of my students who are starting a business or considering a pivot or any kind of decision. I made a decision in the last uh, six months to kind of move in the direction of expanding my business uh, and growing where I, you know, I had you know, reached like almost all my goals in business. And it was this strange thing of, oh gosh, what do I do now? I'm kind of bored and it's working great. And do I just enjoy it? Do I reach for more things? How much ambition is too much ambition? What's the point of ambition? All these weird philosophical questions. And I had to really, I almost was going through this process before I even read your book. But I imagine at every step in the entrepreneurial journey, and it sounds like you and your husband are making some decisions there about your entrepreneurial journey. You know, uh, too many people come to me thinking, oh, I just want to learn how to make money online or start a business. And so they have a goal. That's a value to them. Okay, well, there's a lot of ways you can make money. And in my space that I'm in, it's kind of an icky space because there's a lot of people selling you ways to make money quickly. But is that your only value? Um, It's not for me. You know, I try to really, you know, evangelize my, my audience and help them to think about like, hey, what else do you value? Do you have a family? Do you value being able to have time to sleep at night? Um, have flexibility in your schedule like if you have a friend come in from out of town you could take a two or three hour lunch in the middle of your day um, to see them like what else do you value and does then the business model in our say- sense, since uh, this case serve those values or not um, and would you consider or be open to a business model that maybe is a slower buildup, uh, like the one I teach that. So it's in the short term, it's a little painful because you're not making all that money now. But in the long term, it's very sustainable. It's very flexible. It's very scalable without you having to put in as much time. Um, and so all of those clarification things I'm trying to do on the front end be very honest with people. And I talk about it in my book. Here's what you can really expect. Is this what you value? Because if not, you, know, you could find other ways to make money. But my way that I teach allows for these other values to come into play. And then, really, the other four C's, you know, I, I wouldn't encourage anybody to start a business without talking to their, the other people in their lives, because it will affect them. And you want to look at your choices. And there are a lot of choices, a lot of ways to, to make a great living online. And you should check in with other YouTube channels and podcasts and, 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 educators about how they've succeeded in online business. And then you should look at the consequences, like, will this business serve me in the next five years, in the next 50 years, you know, and, and how much, you know, of that you can figure out, it's worth considering. So I, I think, This would be, I would rather, I'd like to actually take this, put it in my course at the beginning and have people to go through this process and read your book before they even jump into making the decision to start a business. Because I think people think they want to do it. They know they want to do it. They think, but they haven't considered all these other things. So would you say that that would be a, a, is that a reasonable way to apply these five C's to jumping into business?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that, um, if somebody just comes and says, you know, I-, I wanna make money, it's like, okay, great, but for what, right? And so um, what does that money represent to them? What does that, uh, and these are the conversations that certainly if you're going to start a business, you need to have with yourself, but as you mentioned, you know, if you have other people in your life, like what does um, financial freedom mean to you? What does financial independence? For some people that means, you know, being able to take um, every Friday off. For some people that means taking months off at a time to go travel like it's really different Um, and so understanding what role money plays in their life uh, often that means trying to unpack the money stories that so many of us have about Mm -hmm. you know the way we were raised the role that money played in our lives when we were younger Um, understanding like what does it let you access that you think you don't have right now, and that touches on those core values that you mm-hmm. mentioned too. So I would say, you know, the the bulk of time—it sounds like you do this in your course too—should be spent on that clarify step. And then once that is clear, it really is a big unlock for the other Cs because um, it it starts to make the path clear. Like I, if I want to start a business, that means I can take. Three months off with my family every summer. That will dictate what the model yes. looks like, um, all these other things. Yes. But if you're not clear on that um, when you set it up, then you know you're not going to actually achieve what you set out to do. It might be making money beyond your wildest dreams, but still not letting you achieve the life that you yes. were hoping for when you started it.
0: That's a great example. Uh, Rich Litvin is a brilliant coach, and he's he's written a great book called The Prosperous Coach, but one thing he always says is um, you don't just have goals uh, or in this case things you want to achieve but have goals with a writer you know like goals with like an asterisk like these things also have to be true so he'll say for example like uh, I want a business that generates a million dollars a year but it also must be fun effortless and simple you know or it must allow me to take three months off at a time so it's like a goal of how much money to make or this type of business, but these other things have to be true too. And if you don't know how to achieve that, that's okay, but that's a great place to start of like, this is really what I'm shooting for. And not everybody does that. We're super myopic about even the financial goal. Oh, I just want to make six figures. O- okay. Six. The, it, you want to work 90 hours a week to do that? Cause there's, you could be a lawyer, you know, <laughs> or a doctor, but, or do you want to make six figures and like have Fridays off and, or not work past 5 PM or, um, be able to work by yourself, or work around people, or so. I mean, there's so many other v- things to add to that goal, uh, and I just I think that's a valuable conversation to have.
1: A hundred percent, and I think that you know, so many of us are um, again like thinking about these things in isolation, mm-hmm. and so having you know, I, I don't know your process if you work if people are have a partner if you work with both members of a couple. I mean, I think there's so much to be Um, done around sort of having these conversations very early in a relationship, you know, before you feel ready. And we have a whole chapter in our book about like the big questions you should talk about before you feel ready in a relationship because it's much better to know. And every year my co-author, you know, she taught this class for over 40 years. Every year she would get students telling her like, you know, I, I, I had this breakup and it was so hard, but I want to thank you because without being forced to have these conversations, mm-hmm. I would never have known that this wasn't the right person for me. And as a result of your class, I broke things off. I knew they were looking for somebody who, you know, wanted to stay home. And I really am passionate about making an impact through my career right. and, that that's a path that I am going to need to do to feel meaning and fulfillment in my life. And so these types of things, it's like you think they're, you know, I want to make six figures, that's like my own personal, but you get very quickly into, well, what does that mean for our lifestyle? What does that mean for, mm-hmm. you know, the um, other things I want to bring in? And I'm a big proponent of, you know, work should fit into your life, not the other way around. Um, and so what oh is the gosh. life that you want? Yes. Um, and then how to design the the financial component from into that.
0: I knew I liked you, Abby, cause that's exactly my line. Your business should serve your life and not the other way around. Um, <laughs> I love that uh, because we get that so backwards, um, especially in, in, in you are doing, with, thinking about it with money and I deal with, with business. People are so focused on, I want this business to do X, but it's really, it starts with what kind of life do you wanna live and what does that look like And the business and the money play a role in that. Um, but, man, you shouldn't sacrifice everything at the altar of your business because that's not what you ultimately want. It's supposed to be a tool for you and your life and the people you care about and the things you, you care about. So I, I, love, I love that. It was, it's meant to be. I, I knew it. I knew I liked you, and then now I know for sure we have, we're very kindred spirits. Uh, I, I have a million other questions we could get into. We're out of time, but we have a segment on the show that I, I want to get you to, to respond to. It's called the Golden Rule segment, and it's, it's a little more philosophical, but it's fun. And you've got kids, so then you can really relate to this. But you're you're teaching your your boys so much, right? And you want them to grow up and know all these things. And let's imagine that they just forget everything you and your husband ever taught them, except for one piece of advice or one piece of wisdom or one nugget. Um, What would you want that one thing to be if they forgot everything else you taught them, but this one thing, almost like a golden rule, what would you say?
1: Goes back to the sixth C we identified, which is be curious and never stop learning.
0: I love that. I love that. I'm going to steal that one too. So, so good. Oh, Abby, this has been great. Uh, Guys, the book is Money and Love, an intelligent roadmap for life's biggest decisions. You can pick it up at moneylovebook.com. There's also a bunch of other resources there as well. So check it out uh, and read it and then make better decisions in your life, your business, your relationships, your money. I think uh, your, uh, your future self will thank you for it. So Abby, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to hang out with us today.
1: This was great, Graham. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Abby. I know I did. I love thinking about these things, and I got some new insights and nuances for how to navigate some of the big decisions I have coming up in my life. So I hope you did too. And if you really want to dive in deeper, because we only scratched the surface of what's in her book, please go support her and pick up a copy of her book, Money and Love, an intelligent roadmap for life's biggest decisions. You can check it out at Amazon or wherever books are sold or just go to moneylovebook.com. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm linking to it below in the description. Um, It's a phenomenal read. I think you'll really enjoy it. There it is, Money and Love, and Abby Davison, show her some love. And thank you for tuning in and spending some of your day and showing us some love by spending part of it with us. I'm honored to be a coach in your corner supporting you. And go out there, build a highly profitable and life-giving business. And we'll see you on another episode real soon.